0: Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, world. Welcome, once again, to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. Well, a multitude of sins to cover tonight. I use the term sins because a lot of it involves Donald Trump. Uh, but there are many things to discuss, many things to share. I wish the weeks would calm down. So do you, I am sure. Uh, It was only two or three years ago that these shows were very easy to do. Now there's so much to talk about. Even watching the news on TV, the national, international media, there's so much. They don't get it all in and every night. And I know I'm not going to get in all the material I want to share tonight, so let me get started. Uh, Let me tell you, we're going to be in Key West tonight, Washington, D.C., New York City, London, San Francisco, and China. The first thing I want to talk about is our, our esteemed President Donald Trump. He's back on television uh, doing what his 5 o'clock, I call it, Folly Show. Follies, uh, yes," where now he goes on most of the time alone to give us updates on the cor- coronavirus issue and any other little things he wants to throw in. What I want to share first is this. The man... Shows no respect for anyone in any fashion, in any regard. Think of all the things he does where he offends people. One thing that irritates the hell out of me, maybe because I was trained to be on time, I had to be on time. Uh, I was a lawyer. I was a trial lawyer for almost 50 years. If I showed up in court one minute late, I got my ass reamed. It was that simple. Everyone did. You couldn't be late. Court was always on time. Well, Trump's never on time, and I take it as a personal insult, and so should you. It's, it just it, When a person is not on time consistently, it shows disrespect, gross disrespect. His show tonight was supposed to start at 5.30. It was after 6 o'clock. Every time he's on, he's late, generally a half hour or better. Now, what were some of the things he talked about that don't make sense? He says, coronavirus, COVID-19 is under control. How the hell can it be under control? We've got 4.85 million cases, almost 5 million cases in the United States. 159,000 deaths. Can you imagine? 159,000 people have died, and it still goes on. And he says, and I quote, under control. Uh, we t- he talked about testing. We've got the world's best testing in the world, he says. We've got the world's worst testing. You know it, and I know it, okay? He said, now we get test results, listen to this, in 5 to 15 minutes. Test results in 5 to 15 minutes. I don't know where. I don't know who's doing them, and I don't know anyone who's been tested that quickly. I know a lot of my friends have been tested, and no one's gotten results in less than three to five days. Sometimes it takes seven or eight, and in one instance, 10 to 12 days. Now, that is not five to 15 minutes. I don't know what the hell he's talking about. I haven't heard about it, and I don't know if you have. Uh, Then he says, we got all kinds of supplies. All kinds of supplies. we got masks, testing equipment, gowns, gloves, and the letters. We're even get, giving them to other countries, you know, hopefully and all that. Well, I don't know because I had to go to the hospital, what was it, two weeks ago for a kidney test. And my doctor, who happens to be uh, the medical director of the hospital, said, Lou, when you go in, you're going to get a coronavirus test. I said, "Why? Well, I, I have no. We're not going for that problem." Uh, he says, "Well, we have a policy at the hospital. Anyone who's admitted, uh, you know, even for a test or to stay overnight, they are given the coronavirus test." I says, "Well, fine. I wasn't looking forward to having something stuck up my nose, but I says, fine. Well, I went and I never got the test. I didn't ask for it because I was a little reluctant again to have that thing poked up my nose, but." The next time I saw a doc, my doctor a few days later, I said, I didn't get the test. I said, why? He says, because we're out of test kits. We don't have any more testing equipment. But Donald says we have all we need, okay? We have all this stuff. Uh, now he says, things are getting better in Florida, Texas, and California. Those three states are getting killed. I live in Florida. My God, it's horrible down here. Uh, <laughs> absolutely horrible, the number of cases. They keep going up, up, and up. But he says we're in good shape in those three states. The numbers are coming down. Now, I don't know where the hell he gets his information that the numbers are coming down, because they haven't come down. They keep going up. I used to think that Trump was a liar, because he lies all the time. He's always generally, factually incorrect i'm beginning to think maybe he is not a liar seriously maybe he's just ignorant i'm serious when i say that too maybe the man is ignorant and he just doesn't comprehend things and get them straight i don't know which now brings me to my quarantine today is my 146th day in quarantine 146 days i have stayed in my house In those 146 days, I've gone out six times, each time for no more than 45 minutes. I had to go to the hospital and my doctor's office. They're both a five-minute drive away. When you go to a doctor's office now or a hospital, you don't wait anymore. You have an appointment. They take you right away. There's no sitting in a waiting room because they don't want you to spread your germs or someone else's. COVID-19 germs to you so you're taken right away and you're out right away this is terrific you don't sit and wait and uh, so really those six times don't count but I was out six times for 45 minutes so effectively I'm in here for 146 days thank God I research and I write Uh, thank God I enjoy reading thank God I'm a student of history Uh, or I would go buggy Uh, I get a little little goofy every now and then and say, what the hell is this? Uh, But it passes quickly, and I've got a feeling I'm going to be here maybe for another 100 days. Uh, This thing is not going to end between now and the end of the year. We're going to be into next year. I am 85 years old. I've got a bad heart. The two things that qualify me for contacting the coronavirus, I'm not interested. Let me go on my time, not that time. That's the story about the 146 days of quarantine, which now brings me to a very interesting topic. The elite in this country, the rich in this country, because whether you realize it or not, and I think most people do realize it, the rich have taken over this country. It's not they're taking over this country. They've taken over the Republican Party, and it is through the Republican Party that they are exercising control in this country. Because, for example, I call them elites also. When an elite person makes an issue, it really isn't an issue. It's a selective issue because they need to take something and make elaborate on it, make a big deal out of it so they can use it for, for something. Let me give you, let me give you, let me, let me first give you a Machiavellian quote that fits in all this. Machiavellian. Bad guy. Uh, He said in the discoveries on Livy, first book, chapter three, he said, and I quote, the rich are as much a threat to a republic. The rich are as much a threat to a republic as a standing military. The rich are as much a threat to a republic as a standing military. The man is absolutely correct. Let me give you an example how they are selected the rich and how they're taking over our country. Uh, Roe v. Wade, abortion is permissible, It's legal, was passed, was the, was the decision, rather, by the Supreme Court, was rendered in 1973. There was the usual furor that accompanies a Supreme Court decision that people are interested in, but it soon died down. It took six years before Roe v. Wade became an issue in this country. Hear what I'm saying. Roe v. Wade wasn't the issue it is even today Till six years after the Supreme Court decided. And the reason why, okay, this, the elite group, the, the leaders, the rich people in this country needed an issue to organize the evangelicals in this country to completely gather with them and vote on the Republican side. They needed an issue, an issue that people would seize on. So they decided we're going to make abortion an issue, and they were going to make it a rallying cry, okay? They wanted to defeat Jimmy Carter for a second term. They needed some issue. They selected abortion. Nobody was really talking about it for six years. They Then all of a sudden it became a major issue, okay? The reason, the reason they went on this anti-abortion crusade, they really didn't want to attack abortion. They wanted to protect segregated schools, segregated neighborhoods, keep the blacks out of suburbia. That was their their mission, but they didn't think people would accept it at that time. It wasn't palatable, okay? There were, so they got a bunch of rich people together. The two guys who sustained this organization financially in the 1970s and 1980s were two very wealthy men. In 1973, Joseph Coors, Coors Beer, he's a beer baron, Uh, he had a reputation of being a little bit right of Attila the Hun. He was far right in his political thinking to the extreme, a little bit right of Attila the Hun. All right? Now, he financed the the creation of the Heritage Foundation, a very far, far right organization in existence yet today, and and very, very, very powerful. Uh, And he continued donating a lot of money in the 1970s and 1980s. And Understand, he gave a lot of money. He, Coors, was the second largest source of funding for the movement. The first, the guy who gave the most money, was Richard Mellon Skife. He's part of the Mellon Banking family. And so you've got beer money and Mellon Banking money that made the far right an effective group and started bringing together, as a cult almost, as a group, the rich, the elite in this country, so that whatever was done was done for their benefit, not for the people's benefit. Abraham Lincoln, not that he was Machiavelli, but he had something important to say, and I want you to listen closely to his words. He said, and I quote, America will never be destroyed from the outside. I repeat, America will never be destroyed from the outside. If we falter and lose our freedoms, it will be because we destroyed ourselves. America will never be destroyed from the outside. If we falter and lose our freedoms, it will be because we destroyed ourselves. What's going on today, my friends, with Donald Trump, a lot of Republicans? What's going on? We're getting killed from the inside, not from an outside enemy. Bankruptcies in this country, they keep going. We're in tough shape financially. There was another thing tonight, Trump said. The economy is booming. (laughs) I don't know where the hell it's booming except in his head, okay? Uh, He said, but it's booming. In the past, yesterday, Men's Warehouse and Joseph A. Banks, they both are companies under the corporation known as Tailored Brands, Inc. Tailored Brands filed for bankruptcy. The business of Men's Warehouse and Joseph A. Banks, listen to this, okay? Their sales were down 60% for the first quarter of this year. First three months of this year, the sales of these two men's clothing stores, cheap clothes, cheap, good quality clothes, were down 60%. And they claim coronavirus is the cause. Then there's Lord & Taylor. I don't know how many of you have ever been to Lord & Taylor. It's the United States' oldest department store. It's elegant. It's magnificent. Their furniture will blow your mind. When I was uh, looking to furnish my big house that I bought years ago back home, uh, the decorator told me to go to Lord and & Taylor and take a look at their wingbacks because I wanted some wingbacks in my home. Uh, and uh, I never saw so many beautiful wingback chairs designs, different colors, different sizes, but they had floor after floor, that many, of uh, wingback chairs. Great store, and I would occasionally stop in, even after I'd done my house. I didn't buy chairs through them, by the way, but I would stop there occasionally when I was in New York on business, just as I would stop at the Metropolitan Museum of Art to look at the Impressionistic paintings, which always turned me on. I would go to look at the wingback chairs. Another company in big-time economic trouble. It's a bank. Now, I hate banks. I think banks have been whores uh, forever. Uh, Let's go back even to the Bible. Don't forget, Jesus Christ, he threw the money changers out of the temple. They were the bankers, the money changers in the temple. He threw them out. HSBC. HSBC. It's headquarters is london it is europe's largest bank hsbc is europe's largest bank what i'm going to share with you now will blow your mind their net profit for the second quarter of this year three months their net profit for the second quarter of this year dropped 96 percent did you hear what i said do you believe that 96 percent and they say the reason why is uh, coronavirus and lower interest rates. Now, let me compare dollars for dollars. The net profit, which they said was not, had dropped 96 percent for the second quarter, was $192 million. That sounds like a lot of money to you and me, $192 million. But it isn't when you compare it to the second quarter of last year same time frame. In the second quarter of last year, the net profit of the HSBC bank was $4.37 billion. Oh, my God. They're in trouble. <laughs> I want to tell you, I want to stay with the banks for a moment. I want to tell you a banking story you will enjoy. Uh, not all bankers are whores, at least not only one I know that wasn't a whore. Uh, And he was a good man. I wrote a blog on him this week. I refer to him as the people's banker. His name is Amadio Giannini. Amadio Giannini. Uh, His claim to fame, he founded Bank of America. It was 1904. He opened in San Francisco the Bank of Italy. Okay? The Bank of Italy. The Bank of Italy eventually developed into the Bank of America, and he went on to be the chairman of the board of Bank of America and ran the bank for years and made it into a big success. Right. He was one of the first bankers. Okay. You have to understand, 1904, Italian immigrants were discriminated against big time, and no way would a bank loan money to an immigrant, to an Italian. They wouldn't even loan money to someone in the middle class, or they were Irish, Polish, or what have you, or even born in America. Their people came over on the the Mayflower. If you were middle class, you weren't able to borrow money from a bank in 1904. They did not offer banking services to the middle class. They only offered banking services to the upper class. Now, Giannini, Giannini... had been in the produce business. And he sold his produce business in 1892 to his employees and retired at the age of 31. He was retired. 1904 came along and he said, geez, I think if I opened a bank, and he hadn't been a banker before, but if I open a bank and I loan money to people who can't, borrow money, and take their deposits, I think I can make money. So he took a converted saloon, he converted a saloon, okay, and he opened a bank for the little fellas, the Bank of Italy. Uh, this, this bank was for the hardworking immigrants that other banks would not service. He offered savings accounts and loans. These people did not have accountants to give them paperwork. These people did not have uh, statements for their banks to provide, for their businesses to provide to the banks. Here's how he decided who he was going to lend lend money to. He judged his customers by their character, not wealth. He judged them by their character, not wealth. Can you see a bank loaning you money today on your character? Okay. All right. The first year he was in business, the deposits totaled $8,780. The second year, the deposits totaled $700,000. So you can appreciate what I'm talking about. $700,000 in 1805 is equivalent to $20 million in today's money. $700,000 in 18... I'm sorry... In um, 1905, money is equivalent in today's money, in today's dollars, to twenty million dollars. He was running a good business and a successful one. Now came 1906, two years after he went into the banking business with Bank of Italy. The San Francisco earthquake occurred, horrible, destroyed the town, and then there was a big fire that ensued, ensued, and whatever was didn't come down, was burned down by the fire which leveled the city. There were no banks. Everybody needed money. (laughs) There were no banks. You couldn't rebuild. You couldn't eat. There was nothing to buy. But no one had any money. Whatever money they had was in the banks. So, again, Giannini saw an opportunity where a bank would be required. So he set up a temporary bank. And you have to understand where he set up this temporary bank. He set up this temporary bank in the middle of a street with destruction all around him. He took a plank of wood and put it on two barrels, one at each end, and he made loans from that plank. And he made them on a handshake to any persons that were interested in rebuilding. He made them on a handshake with pride years later. Giannini said every loan was repaid. Every loan was repaid. Now, he collected deposits. He made loans. And he also told the people, don't worry, San Francisco will rise from the ashes. Look at it today. Another problem was, where are you going to get the cash? The the cash was in vaults in the bank. The vaults did not get burned. They may have had stuff laying on them that was cleaned up, but the vaults were intact. The cash money was still in the vaults. Got to open the vaults. There was a problem. I don't know how this worked. I can only share with you what I read. The fires had heated the vaults, okay? And if the door was open, the, the, the air, the oxygen, and the heat inside the vault caused the cash money, the paper money, to immediately disintegrate. Isn't that amazing? So the bankers couldn't get at their cash. They had no way of doing business. But not Giannini, (laughs) he somehow was aware this was going to be a problem. He got to his vault immediately, somehow got it open without the money being destroyed. And he wanted to move the money to his home in San Mateo, 18 miles away. Now, how's he going to get the money there? You have to understand, this is like when we have a protest today or a demonstration. People loot. People steal. If they know he's moving money, somebody's going to steal his money. So this guy's smart. This guy is really smart. Uh, he, he moved the money on a garbage wagon. He hid the money beneath the garbage. He buried the cash money under the garbage, got away with it. So he was one of the few bankers following the San Francisco earthquake and fire, that had cash, okay? He had cash, and he could make loans. Good guy. And I want you to know, Italian-American. He was born in this country, though, by the way.
1: Uh, His
0: parents were born in the old country. Uh, But I'm Italian-American. I'm proud of any Italian-American who has made good. Uh, Now I want to talk about Alan Dershowitz, the great, Attorney, Harvard law professor, has defended uh, criminals, people charged criminally, in some of the biggest cases in the United States. He also represented Jeffrey Epstein on some matters. And he made a few trips to Jeffrey Epstein's island. Because uh, there's a record on who went to the island and who, who didn't. Uh, Alan Dvoritschewitz, I'm sorry, Dvoritschewitz, I, I my tongue is tied, he didn't deny he had been there several times, but he denied doing anything with the young ladies. Well, one of the ladies, she was either 12 or 16, has sued him, saying she had sex with him, she went to bed with him, she was required to go to bed with him, and it was on more than one occasion. Once a week, this case is pending. There are going to be more, I'm sure. But one, And I'm not saying he's guilty of anything. But once a week, Alan comes up with an excuse. He says, I didn't do it. And he denies it. And he gives a reason why her story's faulty. He, there's something there that doesn't make it make sense, he says. And every week, it's a new theory. And I want to give this great lawyer the advice that any good lawyer would give him because he forgot what he should do in this instance. And my advice to Alan Dershowitz is, is my friend, you complain too much. Shut up, because that's the way it is. One person in the United States dies every 60 seconds. Isn't that wild? One person dies every 60 seconds in the United States. And this has been a consistent number. And Trump says things are under control. We have another problem here in the Florida Keys. We just don't, we don't have just coronavirus to deal with. We've got something called dengue fever. You get this over in Africa or South America. We've gotten it here over the years, maybe every five, ten years, a couple of cases show up because of mosquitoes. Mosquitoes called dengue fever. Well, for some reason, the mosquitoes around Key Largo, and that's the Upper Keys, uh, are having a field day with dengue fever. As of now, there are now 26 cases of dengue fever. 26 cases of dengue fever in today's society is like a 1,000 cases of coronavirus. i got to tell you. Well, yeah, that's a big number, 26 cases. I don't think in our modern medical history we've had 26 cases in Florida of dengue fever, and that number is going to go up, and they can't seem to knock it down. Trump said something very interesting tonight in his 5 o'clock Folly show, as I call it. Um, He says the car business is going up. The new car business is going up dramatically all of a sudden, and the sales for used cars are going down. We did it. It's terrific. Well, I don't know who's right or wrong, but yesterday I read this article that I'm sharing with you today. It said the average age of cars and light trucks today on the road are 11.9 years old. That the business of selling used cars is doing very well, but people are keeping their used cars and driving them longer because they can't afford them. It's that simple, a new car. And the average age of a vehicle on the road today is 11.9 years. This article also said that in 11.9 years, by the way, is the highest number in 12 years of the age of cars on the road. The new car and truck industry business in the first half of this year Trump says, oh, the business is up. Well, this article said 24%, the sale of new cars and trucks are down 24% for the first six months of this year compared to the first six months of last year, and they will go down even further in the second half of the year. That, my friends, is the show for tonight. I hope you enjoyed. The topics are interesting, but I just wish that we'd have other than Trump topics, because when we talk about him, it symbolizes bad, unhealthy things happening to people. Other than that, thank you for joining me. My numbers go up every week, so I keep thanking you for joining me. If you mention this to your friends, I appreciate it. I don't know why, but people love the show. I love doing the show for you, and I look forward to being with you again next week.